the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. The Israelites had, you know, cried out to God, and so this is that cycle. It's a cycle that is, you know, to be honest, it's kind of indicative of our own human nature. We get right with God, things are going well, and things are going so well, we get lazy in our walk with Him, and then we get ourselves into sin, and then we cry out to God, and God has mercy, and we start living for Him again, and that's, that's the cycle. This cycle is just, in other words, this is not just, you know, exclusively an indication of the Israelites. This is all of our cycles. When we read about the children of Israel's constant abandonment to the Lord, it can be easy to come off as judgmental. It's easy to think, I would never do that. But the reality is we all go through the cycle of wandering, repentance, and restoration. In today's message, Pastor Gary will be sharing about this cycle that the Israelites constantly found themselves in. This is also the cycle that we can find ourselves in. Whenever we do fall into sin, we know that God will always meet us with grace. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Judges, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Religious leaders accused Jesus of having power by Beelzebub. And that's when Jesus said, well, that would be counterproductive, wouldn't it? Like if Satan were driving out Satan, you know, no kingdom can stand against itself. So, so if you think that I'm driving out demons by the power of Beelzebub, that, that wouldn't make sense, would it? But they, they invoked that God of the ancient God of the Old Testament, of the Canaanites, and they accused Jesus of operating under that power, Beelzebub. By the way, there's some other little known Baal gods. You have Baal of hay, that's Lord of the Farmers. Bail him out of jail, that's Lord of the ex-cons. Um, then you have Christian Bail, which, by the way, that's an oxymoron. I don't know how he can be called Christian Bail. But anyway, I digress. Back to our study. So they're worshiping these Baals and Ashtoreths. The Baals were the male and Ashtoreths were the female false gods of the Canaanites. And they were the gods and the goddesses of fertility and agriculture. And because they were the god and goddesses of fertility and agriculture, the worship of these gods involved sexual immorality, ritual prostitution, self-mutilation, and human sacrifice. So when you know that, then you can understand just how far the Israelites had gone away from God. They start to worship the gods of the nations around them, 
which means they are engaging in these same practices. Sexual immorality, ritual prostitution, self-mutilation, human sacrifice. We know, even under the, under the reign of King Solomon, that Israel was sacrificing their children. It was the height of child sacrifice under the days of King Solomon. They name a whole valley after the children, the Valley of the Children, the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. You go there to Israel today and you cross over the Valley of Ben-Hinnom and there is a plaque there to the Valley of the Children because they don't want to ever forget that they sacrificed children in that valley. They brutally murdered their own children to worship these false gods. Now, listen, when you... When you look at the Bible and you read the Bible, and for people who say, you know, it's difficult for me to read it because it's an antiquated book, it doesn't have much relevance today, I think to myself, all you need to do is take the Bible, and then you need to take, like, your, your phone and, and look up a news app, and look at the two things, and look how similar they are. Because tragically, the truth is, we're still sacrificing our children today, the sin of abortion, and we're still adapting the gods of the nations around us. Because we have forsaken the true and living God for the worship of our the cultural gods. Not just the United States of America, but places around the world. They are more intent in worshiping whatever is the most cultural, significant thing of the day than they are worshiping the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is very similar to our own day. We've adopted cultural gods were killing our children. So this isn't to surprise us. Well, verse 14, and the angel of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. Now notice this so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, and this is an important word, nevertheless, because, you know, at this point, God has already said to them, do you remember how faithful I was? I was faithful, I was faithful, I was faithful, I provided for you, I cared for you. But despite that, you forsook me. You started worshiping other gods. So to get your attention, I'm going to give you over to the enemies of these nations. You want to worship their gods? Fine. I'm going to send these, these nations against you. They're going to be the rod of my discipline to get your attention. And he could have just decided, I'm going to smote all of you. But instead, nevertheless, that's verse 16, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. This is all God's mercy. But it brings us to this cycle that I mentioned, start at the top. Israel serves the Lord, but then Israel falls into sin and idolatry because they start doing what the nations around them are doing. And so Israel is oppressed by enemies. Then Israel cries out to the Lord, and then God raises up a judge, and then Israel is delivered. And then they serve the Lord for a time while, while a judge is giving you know, some oversight. But then a judge dies, and then the people give in to their old ways again. And the cycle continues. Throughout the whole book of Judges, this is the cycle. And we're seeing it right here. Because Israel was serving the Lord in the days of Joshua, then that generation dies. And then they start to engage in the idolatry of the nations around them. So God's anger burns. He turns them over to their enemies. And then he has mercy and raises up the judges. Verse 17. Yet, 
They would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandment of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up the judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test, circle that, I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So we learn something there. What we learn is that even though the Israelites were disobedient and not driving completely those nations out of the land, and thus the result of their presence we see here because the Israelites are persuaded to join in their practices. Nevertheless, God used the remnant of those foreign nations that they allowed to remain as a way to test the Israelites. Now, the Hebrew word there for test is nasah, and it appears three times, once here in chapter two, and then we're gonna see it two more times in the first couple of verses of chapter three. And it means to test or to prove. In other words, this was a way for God to expose what was in their hearts. This is how he tested them. He allowed these nations there so that then they would begin to see what was in their own heart. And by using them, he tested his own people in this way. So go to chapter 3. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test. Here it is again that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test, there it is the third time, that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus, the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. So, So here they are engaged in pagan worship, They have fallen away from the Lord, and so God raises up judges. And the first one is mentioned here in verse 7, Othniel, Othniel. And his name in Hebrew means God is my strength. We're first introduced to him back in chapter 1. We talked about him last week. He was Caleb's nephew, but he became Caleb's son-in-law too. It's kind of a convoluted family tree, but you know... Trying to keep it all in the same family, I guess. So this, so, so, but he's Caleb's nephew, and then he marries Caleb's daughter, so he becomes Caleb's son-in-law. So I don't know how that works. Do, do you call him dad or do you call him Uncle Caleb? I don't know. Shouldn't have to call him 
Both at the same time, for sure. All right, that's a little messy. But anyway, so here he is, verse 7. So the children of Israel did evil on the side of the Lord. Here's that pattern. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan, Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan, Rishathaim, eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. And here he is, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest for 40 years, and then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. There's a cycle. They're disobedient to God, so for eight years, God allowed the king of Mesopotamia to besiege them, to harass them, until they cried out to God, and God said, all right. I'll have mercy. Raises up Othniel. Othniel goes to war, fights, defeats them. And so for 40 years, the Israelites live in peace. Othniel is now reigning here as judge. And then we come to Ehud. Now, this is a, a, a very bizarre story. And this will not be the only bizarre story we read in the book of Judges. Trust me. This is a very twisted book that shows the depravity of man and just kind of you know, weird things. So here, here we go. This is Ehud now. So Ehud becomes the second judge of Israel. And by the way, those of you who know your recent Israeli history, there were two prime ministers in the past couple of decades with the name Ehud. You had Ehud Omert and Ehud Barak. So those guys named the, the same after this guy here, Ehud. His name in Hebrew means united, united. It says, and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, because Othniel died. And so left to themselves, they do evil again. And so the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms. That's Jericho. So again, the Israelites are living in disobedience. So God whistles for the king of Moab. This guy's name is Eglon. Interestingly, his name means little calf. And that's going to have meaning in the story as we read it. But that's just, it's kind of an interesting thing here. His name means little calf. And so he gathers the Ammonites and the Amalekites. They go to war against the Israelites. They take the city of Palms, Jericho. Verse 14, so the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. They were subjected to him. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gerah, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. Now, this is interesting. There are only three references in the Bible to left-handed people. And every time a left-handed person is mentioned, they are from the tribe of Benjamin. But what is interesting is that Benjamin, his name means son of my right hand. So there's some irony here. <laughs> Benjamin means son of my right hand, but every time uh, somebody's left-handed in the Bible, they're a Benjamite. Okay. Now, what is interesting here is this, it mentions that he's left-handed because it gives him a military advantage. In the same way in sports, 
Uh, those who are left-handed in sports, they have a slight advantage. In tennis, for example, if you hit to someone's, typically you would try to hit to their weaker side, which is typically someone's backhand. But if they're left-handed, if you do that, you're actually hitting to their forehand. So their forearm, they're going to swing in a way that has an advantage over you. Boxing is the same way. Those who are left-handed boxers, they're known as southpaw. They have a southpaw advantage. And, that, and they have a, a mean right hook which catches other boxers who are typically right-handed, it catches them off guard because then they don't always anticipate it coming because you are typically trained to fight against right-handed boxers. So a left-handed boxer has an advantage. A left-handed tennis player has an advantage. A left-handed soldier has an advantage. In hand-to-hand combat, what is going to happen here is, you're going to see here in a moment, Ehud is mentioned as being left-handed because it gives him an advantage. He's going to draw his his hidden sword from, from the right, from the right side of his body, he's going to draw it across, across his body from the right, and he's going to catch Eglon off guard here. So take a look. This is what happens. By him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Okay, so they're like, take a gift to Eglon, you know, and just pay your taxes and, and so that we can be good citizens. Well, there's going to be a different outcome here. Verse 16, now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length. So that's a, that's a foot and a half, okay? Foot and a half dagger. And he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. Okay, got it? So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. All right, his name's Little Calf. What do you expect, right? If you get named Little Calf, you're going to eat like one. And so anyway... He ends up being a very, it just tells us, it just, tell, I'm just, it, it just says, he's a very fat man. Okay, don't judge me, I'm just reading the Bible. <laughs> and when he had finished presenting the tribute, Ehud, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. So Ehud's like, everybody leave the room. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. And then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he rose from his seat. And then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Now look at this. Even the hilt went in after the blade and the... I'm just reading it, friends. And the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Picture this scene here. This scene is like, is like Ehud's like, King, King Eglon, I got something to say. And so, so Ehud sends out all his attendants, and King Eglon sends out all his messengers, and he's just like, all right, tell me. And so he rises up from his throne, and he draws near, and, and Ehud whispers this. And as he's whispering, see, this is what catches him off guard, because he's, he's a left-handed soldier here. So he, he just reaches across his right thigh, takes it up, and just into his belly, and lo- loses it. Lo- well, you can keep it. And then he runs. <laughs> And he runs. It says in verse 23, Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the door of the upper room behind him and locked them. Now, this actually gets a little funny. Let's just finish this. And when he had gone... Can it be funny, Gary? This is terrible. Okay, but watch. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. (laughs) They think he's on the pot. They think he's going to the bathroom. He's like, well, just leave him alone. The door's locked. He's just doing his business. And so they waited until they were embarrassed. 
And still he did not open the door of the upper room. And therefore they took the key and opened them. So, you know, it's been a long time. Even, even King Eglon does, it doesn't go, take that long. And so, and, and so there, there, there was their master, fallen dead on the floor. Now this, this brings new meaning to the phrase, man, somebody died. But anyway, uh, that's terrible. Verse 20, what are we, 26? But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sarah. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains and he led them. And then he said to them, follow me for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites into your hand. And so they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about 10,000 and men of Moab, all stout men of valor, not a man escaped. And so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. Now, just make a note in your Bibles, this will be the longest stretch of peace during the entire time of the judges, 80 years. It is twice as many years as any other judge. The most that other judges have is 40 years, but this particular time of peace was 80 Years, But again, you know, this is God raising up Ehud to come against the king of Moab because the Israelites had, you know, cried out to God. And so this is that cycle. It's a cycle that is, you know, to be honest, it's kind of indicative of our own human nature. We get right with God. Things are going well and things are going so well we get lazy in our walk with him and then we get ourselves into sin and then we cry out to God and God has mercy and we start living for him again and that's, that's the cycle. This cycle is just, in other words, this is not just, you know, exclusively an indication of the Israelites. This is all of our cycles. And this is why we must be on our guard against this kind of cycle because it's a bad cycle to be in. I want to circle back before we pray and close to Judges 2 verse 10, because uh, this is an important verse and I don't want us to miss it. It says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, in other words, they had died, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. And it reminds me of Deuteronomy 6-7. And this is what Deuteronomy 6-7 instructs, particularly fathers, but it, it isn't only for fathers, but fathers have the main responsibility in a home where there is a dad and where there isn't, mom, God bless you, you're to do this as well. But together, in Deuteronomy 6-7, you shall teach your children diligently Teach God's laws, teach His commandments diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And God's instruction there is for us to be sure we do our part to instruct the next generation. There was an entire generation who didn't get the instructions of the Lord. And as a result there was this terrible spiritual decline in the nation. And so it is with us. If there's any hope for America, it's because the next generation is going to fall in love with Jesus. And part of the next generation coming to have a relationship with Jesus is because this generation of parents are instilling it in their kids. So we have a privilege and a responsibility 
to instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. And I love the way that, that God put it there through the pen of Moses in Deuteronomy 6, 7, because it, it's like when you lie down, when you rise up, when you're sitting in your home. In other words, talking about the Lord should just be woven into everyday conversation. And it should be something that is just, you know, the Lord is just constantly talked about in your home, with your kids, you know, and wherever you go, whatever you're doing, see God in everything in daily life and talk about the Lord in that way, in just regular everyday conversation with your children, that they would hear about the Lord, know about the Lord, and have a relationship with the Lord. Our days are sometimes filled with nonstop movement, aren't they? The pastors, staff, and community here at Cornerstone Connection don't want you to miss out on nuggets of wisdom from God's Word. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can connect with us from anywhere. Interested in hearing more? Go to cornerstoneconnection.cc where Pastor Gary Hamrick has more audio messages for you to tune into. Scroll down until you see the space that says Teaching Library. Once there, we've made it as simple as possible to search by topic, speaker, or book. We pray that you'll be uplifted and encouraged in your walk with Jesus. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love for you to stop by. We have Sunday services at 8.30, 10, and 11.45. Is the middle of your week more free? Come join us on Wednesday evenings then at 7. Were you blessed by what you heard today? Would you consider donating some of your resources? If so, it's pretty simple. You can use our mobile app or click on the Give Now tab found at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, That's all the time we have for today, but we look forward to our next time together right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.